Welcome to Park View, where we don't have a park or a view. <laughs> you ever think about that? I mean, you know, what do we got? We got petroleum tanks, elevator condos, and a power line. Welcome. We're glad you're here. But if your view is not so great in your life today, hey, it's okay, uh, because it's not about the view. It's about what God can do. And we celebrate the joy of the Lord. We celebrate the fact that God is able to help us no matter what our view is. And we around here like to laugh at the fun things that happen to us in life. Like, uh, I mean, think about this. It's butts of the Bible, and today is turn the other cheek. Did anybody else find that funny? Because I think it is. Uh, we're going to talk about this uh, week four of butts of the Bible today. Uh, before we jump into there, let's, let me do a couple of things for you. Some of you have asked about tornado victims and how we're going to help them as a church, and we are. Just watch the website. It's uh, too early in to know how we're going to do it. We're working with a church in Louisville, working with some things. So watch our website, and we'll tell you how we can do that, how we can help. Uh, get your pictures of your sponsored kids into us because we're going to make a big wall over here of all the kids that we sponsor through Compassion or World Vision or Africa Kids or whatever. And we've got stickers for your car, which always makes me nervous because I know how some of you drive. But I, I, I had this story. The reason this comes to mind, they're available for you out there, two bucks. Put one on your car because it, what happened this week is somebody told me they were on a flight from L.A. back to Chicago, and he had logo wear on. He had some of our Parkview, you know, he had a shirt on, said Parkview, and the lady sitting next to him was like, oh, my friend's been bugging me to go to that church. You go there, and it struck up a conversation. So you never know who's, uh, who's watching what's going on. Just please try to keep your fingers down and drive nicely while you're <laughs> Parkview sticker, okay? Um, but is a powerful word. That's what we've been talking about around here. It's like, you know, this was happening, but now this is happening. Like in high school when she said, I like you, but I just want to be friends. I mean, it just totally changes everything, right? The flow of everything. And nobody used but in a bigger way than Jesus. Jesus was the one who basically said, he, he talked like this. He said, and we're going to be in Matthew 5 if you've got your Bibles. He would say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And we picked out five of these from Matthew 5, from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus says, but I say to you. Basically, the crux of Jesus' message, if, if I could paraphrase it my own way, would be Jesus, would be God, in the very beginning, you heard it was about religion, okay? And God set up a way for us to live, and, and you turned it into a religion. But what I'm here for is to help you have a relationship with God. It's not about a religion. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship. And Jesus said, I have come to give you life. Uh, I, I like the message version. I came so they could have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Okay, that's not a TV preacher. That's Jesus. That's why he came. See, here's the difference. We've been saying this a lot around here lately. This is the difference. Religion is about what God wants from you. And Jesus was about what God wants for you. God created us. God made us. So he knows how we ought to live. So whenever Jesus talks about sin, which is what he's kind of doing in this Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about sin, it's not because it makes God mad. It's not because God's disappointed with us up there in heaven when we do these sins. It's because sin is not the best way to live. And we know this. You could tell stories I could too. I mean, it might be fun for a little while, but eventually it turns into a situation where you've messed something up. And we could all tell stories about that. And what we've learned is that before sin is birthed in our actions, it's conceived in our hearts. So if there's sin in your hearts, it's going to mess you up just the same as if it was on the outside. It doesn't really matter. Jesus said, I've come to give you a better life, so I want you to, I want you to figure this out. So what have we done? We've done? Week one was, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, when you have hate in your heart, it's the same thing, and it messes you up because you have this unforgiveness going on in your life. It's like a hell that's going on in your heart. 
We too, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if, if you're unfaithful in your heart, if you're lusting after another person, it's still going to mess up your marriage. It's not a good thing. It's not the great marriage God wanted for you. Week three, you've heard it said, give your spouse an official divorce, a certificate of divorce, if that's what they need, and you're going to split up. But I tell you, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And this week is about retaliation. We, you just, you know, I mean, there's just something inside of us that makes us want to retaliate when somebody does something. So Jesus said, you have heard that this is how you should retaliate. I'm going to give you another way. It's hard, though, isn't it? guy was driving down the road one day, and he sees a late model Mercedes for sale. It said, for sale, $100 on it. And he thought, whoa, 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 I better figure this out. So he stopped and he went up to the door and he said, hey, can you tell me about the car? She said, yeah, it's my husband's car. He, he said, well, why are you selling it for $100? She said, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. He said, okay, well, I'm, uh, here's $100. And she signs the title over to him. And, and he says, can you tell me why? Why you're selling me this nice car for $100? She said, sure, I can tell you. My husband ran off with another woman. And he called me and said, sell the car and send me half the money. <laughs> That's why. Frankly, I'm not very good at this. I have a Rambo complex, just like maybe a lot of you. You know, there's two, two normal responses when somebody does something to you. You can fight or flight, right? That's basically it. And, and I'm usually the fight guy. I mean, I, I, I'm the guy that wants to get somebody back. I'm not going to run. I want to get you back if you did something to me. Because we've all had situations, whether it's in the home or in the 10 items or less line at the grocery store or it's on the road or, or, or it's even in the office when we really want to retaliate. So here we go, Matthew 5.38. Jesus said, you have heard it said when somebody does something to you, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Have you heard that before? I mean, that, that, your first question is going to be, where did that come from? I mean, that sounds kind of barbaric in today's terms, doesn't it? Well, I'll tell you where it came from. It came from God. In Exodus, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, an eye for an eye, that's how God set it up. You say, well, why would he do that? Well, that was a regular law for most cultures back in the day, and you have to understand that the children of Israel had just been brought out of slavery. They had no social or economical or legal code. They had no ethical code. They had no way of knowing how to set up society. So God set this up, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, for two good reasons. The first reason is to put a limit on punishment. Okay? It sounds, it sounds harsh, but he's really putting a limit. He's putting a cap on punishment. Because what normally happens is when somebody does something to us, we, want to don't, we don't want to do the same thing back to them. We want to do a little bit more, right? Our natural inclination is to do more than what was done to us. Let's prove it. This is a proven psychological test. I want you to pinch the person next to you. Go ahead. I give you permission. Okay. Now, now hold on, hold on. If you were the person that just got pinched, I want you to pinch that person back. Okay, what just happened? The pinch back was worse than the pinch, was it not? Always. This is a psychological test. Our natural inclination as people is not to get back eye for an eye. It's to go back a little bit harder. Your kids prove this every day, don't they? Thing one pushes thing two, thing two hits thing one with their sword, thing one tackles thing two, and pretty soon it's MMA in your living room. This is how it works. So, so when, when you hear this law and you think, well, wait a minute, how, how did God, God set this up to limit punishment? Number two, he set it up to eliminate personal revenge. This was never meant for people to do, okay? This was meant for judges. This was meant for society. 
Well, by the time Jesus comes along and he's preaching this, the people had taken this lex talionis, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth law, and they were using it for themselves to basically do the things that God set it up not to do. Okay, Both of these wrongs were going on, and they were using this law, this rule. They were looking for a loophole. That's what you do with rules and laws and religion. And they were using it to do the things that God didn't want them to do. And it was just basically three stooges all the way around. So like the last three weeks, Jesus steps in to clarify the issue. Jesus says, this is the old way. This is the paradigm in which you've been operating. But I, and this is normal, and this is okay, but I'm going to give you a new way. I'm going to give you a new way. Here it is. But, that's what this but is. It's a new way. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What? Seriously? Now, this doesn't work. As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to go on and give four scenarios that are going to be just as crazy to the people that heard them that day as what I just told you in this day. You people were doing the same thing. And, and I know what's going to happen here, okay? You're going to get questions. You're going to have questions like, well, what would Jesus say to an abused woman or abused child? Uh, what if I'm getting mugged? Am I just supposed to take it? Does, does this apply to nations and governments? Is this about war? Does this apply to my home? Should I not defend my home if somebody comes in and breaks into my home? And I've had people tell me yes to all of those things. Yes. You know, they said, I've had people say, if somebody broke into my house and they wanted to do my family harm because of this thing that Jesus said, I would not defend myself or my family. I want to warn you of something. I don't believe that. If you decide to break into my house, I will shoot first and ask questions of God later, okay? Just want to tell you that. I will try to shoot you in the leg, but I'm as blind as a bat without my contacts, so I would just encourage you not to get all up in my business, okay? That's what I would say. See, there's other things that you've got to think of here. I mean, it's not just this. You've got to take all of Scripture together. Paul tells Timothy, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially his immediate family, he's denied his faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, provides a lot more than protect, but it certainly isn't less than protect. Some people use this Scripture to say, well, there's no such thing as just war. And I don't know if there is or not. I don't really have an opinion on it. It always cracks me up when someone from the United States of America tells me that they, you know, instead of the United States of Great Britain, I mean, how do we get here in the first place? But, but I'm, not, I'm not here to make a statement on this, okay? I don't know if we should have gone to Afghanistan or not. I don't know if we should have been in Iraq or not or Vietnam or whatever, whatever it is that you have a question about. What I'm positive on is that this scripture has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with it whatsoever. That's what I know. Remember, this is the Jesus who went into the temple one night, and um, the next day he went back into the temple, and he was angry about what they were doing in the temple. I, I tell you that because it was premeditated. He made a whip out of some cords, the Bible tells us. He made a whip, and he went into the temple, and he cleared out the temple, and he overturned the tables, and he ran everybody out of there. There are times when we need to protect the greater good. You've got to put all this together. What Jesus is talking about is something here that is so much different than, than you probably have ever imagined. This is not about war between governments. It's not about being threatened. Jesus is talking about an insult here. And nobody in Jesus' day would have misunderstood this at all because they knew exactly what he was talking about. Why do I know this? 
It was an insult. Jesus is talking about an insult, like in the old days when you'd see a movie and they'd take off their gloves and they'd challenge the other person to a duel, and pretty soon there'd be a sword fight or 40 paces and guns, right? Keith, will you come up here for a second? I need, I need somebody to help me with this, okay? Why do I know this is true, all right? Um, I'm not going to strike my friend Keith. Keith runs the ministry at, down in Inglewood. He's a great one of our missionaries right here. I want you to know that, okay? We love you, man. Um, okay. So here's my demo. Okay, let's put this scripture back up on the screen again. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, Jesus specifically said right cheek. That's what makes this important. Jesus did not say cheek. He said right cheek. Why is this important? Everybody in Jesus' day was right-handed. Are you right-handed? Okay. Well, you know why we shake right-handed? Even if you're left-handed, are you, are, don't you shake right-handed? Isn't that the official thing? You don't ever walk up to somebody and go, hey, how's it going? You know? I mean, maybe in Inglewood, you know, I don't know how, you know, what you do, to, you know, but, but, but no, what, what you do is you shake right-handed. Why is that? Because back in the day, your left hand was used for other things. So nobody was left-handed. Even if you were naturally left-handed, you became right-handed because to be left-handed was seen as a handicap. And because with your left hand, you did things that had to do with personal hygiene and the series title for my message. Okay? Cottonelle had not been invented yet. I'm just saying. Okay? It is true in Middle Eastern countries even to this day. So what you did with your left hand was the, was the stuff that you didn't want to be in contact with anybody else. So everybody did everything right-handed, and that's why we shake right-handed. Okay? So if I'm standing here, and I'm going to strike Keith on the right cheek, how am I going to do that if I'm right-handed? The only way I'm going to do that is a backhand to the right cheek. Which is what? It's an insult. This is what you would do to a slave. This is what you would do to a child. You see what I'm saying? Jesus is not saying if somebody punches you, get back up and let them punch you again. Not necessarily. He's saying if somebody insults you. That's what he's saying. This is the way a child would be disciplined, okay? And in this moment, if somebody does this to you, you have normally have two options. You would fight or you would flight. You would either run away and say, I'm not dealing with you, I don't want to do this right now, or you would turn around and you would take the next swing. Jesus says, neither one of those are the right option. I've come to bring you a different option. Now, notice the strength that's involved here, because people think, you know, Jesus is telling us we should all be wimps. If somebody, if somebody does this, and Keith says, well, thank you very much, may I have another, and stands right back up again, he's being strong, he's in a position of strength, He's in a position of challenge, and he's in a position of humility. I acknowledge the fact that you just insulted me, and I'm going to stand here and see if you want to take this further. That's what I'm doing, okay? I recognize that you think that you're the one that's over me and that you're better than me and all of that kind of stuff, and I'm not going to run away, and I'm not going to fight you unless you continue to push this to the next place and I have no choice. I'm going to stand here and in strength... I'm going to tell you that I'm relinquishing my right to retaliate. Thank you, my friend. That's all I needed from you. Because what happens next? Wait, stay here. What happens next? It, if you turn your other cheek, what does that mean? Okay, I've slapped him on the right cheek. The other cheek is, yeah, this is on. We're doing this. Okay? Jesus says, you stand there and do that. Okay, now you're done, I promise. Thank you, my friend. But see, uh, this is what Jesus is talking about. Thank you, Keith, for allowing me to beat on you today. 
What Jesus is saying is, and this was a frame of reference that everybody would have understood this. So when somebody tells you the scripture and it's about how Christians are supposed to lay down and be doormats, that's just not true. Okay? What Jesus is saying is, there's a third option. There's a third option. You could fight, you can flight, or you can do it this way and you can turn the other cheek. Isn't that interesting? It's a different operating system. Okay? That's basically what Jesus has come to introduce to us is a different operating system. Any Mac users in here? Anybody switch to Mac like me? Okay. Yeah, okay. Seventh best day of my life. I, I gave my life to Jesus. I got married. I had three kids. One of them got married. Apple. That's the way it goes for me. I'm just telling you, okay? Uh, but, but, but if you're going to do this, I mean, it's wonderful, but if you're going to do this, it, it's a learning curve. It takes a little while. You're going to have to figure out how to make this thing happen because your old programs don't work anymore. And what I believe Jesus is doing with these butts, with the whole Sermon on the Mount, is he's saying, you have heard it said, Microsoft, but I say to you, you don't have to do that anymore. There's no more blue screen of death. This is a different way that you can live your life, okay? So why would you do this? You ask yourself. Why would you react in this third way? Well, let me ask you this question. What is going to happen to, to this person, okay? If Keith turns the other cheek to me, and he doesn't fight me, but he doesn't run away, and he operates in this brand new third system, my question to him is going to be, why? Why would you be that way? Why would you do that? He goes on. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak also. What was your tunic? Your tunic was your undergarments. It was your long johns. It's what you wore underneath your clothes. It was your underwear, basically. And Jesus said, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, give them your cloak also. What's, what's your cloak? Your cloak was the blanket-like thing that you wore over you. And you used it in the, in the day and the night. You used it to sleep with. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament law said, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, God says, I will hear him, for I am compassionate, and you'll be in trouble if you take somebody's cloak. That's how important it was. You didn't ever mess with somebody's cloak. You didn't have to give it up to them in a pledge or any other way. Jesus says, I've got a new operating system. Think about this. If somebody's greediness or their meanness or whatever goes so far as to take you to court to sue you for your underwear, go ahead and give them your cloak too. What are you doing? You're operating in a new operating system, aren't you? You're, op you're, not, you're, you're not running away saying, well, you can't have anything else. You're not giving them everything. You're saying, hey, you need this. I'm going to give you this as well. Now, I don't know that this is exactly what Jesus would mean, but if you think about it, if they've got your tunic and they've got your cloak, what are you wearing? It's not even your birthday. In a way, what you're seeing here is Jesus saying, look, this is, a, this is a position of strength. If you want this, here you go. I'm willing to stand naked before you. I'm willing to turn my other cheek to you because I am going to give up my right to retaliate against you. I'm not going to run in shame, and I'm not going to fight you. And their question, as you're standing there naked, having given them everything, is going to be what? Why? Why, why would you act in this different operating system. He goes on. If somebody forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
Well, that was an actual law because of Roman occupation. The Romans could force any Jewish citizen to walk a thousand paces. They could walk a thousand paces, which was basically a mile. You could go a mile, and they had to allow them to have that happen. That was something that was by law required as a Jew, okay? Jesus says, if you you get asked to go a mile, I want you to go a second mile. Now think about this law, okay? Think about this from a soldier's standpoint. There are two options normally that you're going to do if you are somebody and the soldier asks you to go a mile. Your reaction number one is going to be fight. I'm going to fight. I'm I'm not going to do it. You can't make me. And the zealous would even try to kill that soldier because they hated Roman occupation. Your second option is to grudgingly go along with it. Oh, okay, I guess I have to. And then what's your attitude going to be? The same as your kids when you make them do stuff, right? They're going to be swearing under their breath for a mile. They're going to be walking with this pack on, and they're not going to be very happy about it. But Jesus again proposes a third alternative. How about this? How about when you get to the end of the mile, you offer to go another mile? Can you imagine the shock of the officer you imagine the shock of the soldier who realizes that you're not grumbling and swearing at him and throwing things at him behind your back on that first mile. And you get to the end of the first mile and you say, hey, are you going on farther? Can I carry it another mile for you? What's his reaction going to be? What's the question that's going to be in his mind? Why? Sure, why? Give to the one who asks, Jesus says, one more scenario. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Be a good neighbor. Lend to those who need. Be a generous person, Jesus is saying. Give to the one who asks, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow you. Obviously, you need to use your brains with this. This isn't about giving everything up. This isn't about giving money to a drug addict. If your five-year-old asks you for a butane torch, it's not a good idea. You have to use your brain and figure these things out. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to be a generous person. There is a limit. Of course, there are limits. Augustine said, he said, give to everyone that asks, not give everything to him who asks. This is not about giving everything up, okay? You've got to understand that. Did you notice that there were limitations? Jesus said, if they sue you for your tunic, give them your cloak. He didn't say give them your house. Jesus said, if they ask you to go a mile, go a second mile, Don't, not walk to Egypt, okay? Paid attention to this. He said, turn the other cheek, not get beat up. I heard a story, old-time Irish preacher who used to be a boxer, and he was uh, setting up a tent for a revival one day, and some guys came along, and they decided to pick on him because they knew he used to be a, a, you know, a scrapper, and he used to be a boxer, and he used to be a part of that crowd. He gave his life to Jesus, and he was a preacher down there, giving him a hard time, and, and he, just wasn't, he just wasn't biting on it. So finally, one of them just hauled off and, and decked him. And people were standing around, and they knew this guy, and they knew what he was about, and they, they knew who he'd been. And they were so surprised to see him get up again and stand there and turn the other cheek to the guy. And the guy hit him again, knocked him down. At this point, the preacher got up, pulled off his jacket, rolled up his sleeves and said, the Lord has given me no further instructions and beat the tar out of him. I think he missed the point a little bit. But, 
But there are limits to what God has asked us to do. What this is about is not giving yourself up. This is not about being a doormat. If you are in an abused situation right now, get out. Let me help you get out of there. That is not what this is talking about. I'm sure of this. What this is talking about is a third option. It's a new operating system. It's about being humble and leaving them with a question. And that question would be, why? Why would you act this way? Why would you be this way? And he gives us these four concrete ways of looking at it. A slap, a shirt, a walk, and a gift. And he gives us creative ways of responding in a third operating system to all those things. You see, Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, as he went places, he, you know, people said, he, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And I've come to bring the kingdom of heaven. And what we as Christians have misunderstood is that somehow the kingdom of heaven is about what happens after we die and we go to a place called heaven. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I have come to bring a new operating system now. And it's so much better than the operating system that you've had. Because if you fight or if you flight, you're not going to leave yourself with a good scenario. But if you stand up and be strong, you could bridge that thing. You could repair that relationship. If you're mad because you have to walk the first mile, that's not a good way to live. Walk the second mile. If somebody sues you and you're mad because they sue you, that's not a good way to live. So give them a little bit more and see what happens. Give to the one who asks. Do not, do not hesitate to, to be a person who operates in this new operating system. And the takeaway for us is how can we pursue strong? Notice how strong that is? I don't think there's any more. I mean, I think it's stronger to stand back up and take another, another smack in the face than it is to start a fight. It's definitely stronger to walk the second. This, this is not about a weak Christian system where people walk all over you. This is about strength and humility, which is exactly what Jesus did. Because God knows, and Jesus knows that revenge and retaliation, it's bad for the heart. It's horrible for the heart. It will kill us. It will consume us. And I'm really sorry for this illustration, but it's the only one that kept coming back to me over and over again this week. When you think about how, how this retaliation and revenge consumes you, all I could think of was Princess Bride. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm that immature. All I could think of was the next time I see the six-fingered man, I will say to him, Hello, my name is Anuga Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. You know you want to say it with me. Don't. Hello, my name is Anuga Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And, and Anuga Montoya, his whole life in this funny movie, Princess Bride, his whole life has been consumed with revenge because the six-fingered man killed his father and someday he was hoping, he was training as a swordsman, his whole life was consumed with revenge and that someday he would finally get to meet the six-fingered man. And I hate to ruin the story for you, but he finally does and he finally kills him. And then he's like, well, now what do I do? You know, I, I, my whole life has been consumed by this. Jesus is saying that is a horrible way to live. Nobody wants to live that way. That's not the kingdom of heaven. That's not the new way. That's not the new operating system. So you say, well, how do I overcome my natural instinct to lash out and avenge when somebody does me wrong? You have to come back next week. <laughs> same bat time, same bat channel. Don't read ahead in Matthew 5, okay? 
Jesus is going to tell us the last but next week, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about how to do that. But here's what I know. Over the next few days, you will have an opportunity to find a third way to live. You will have that opportunity. Next time you get insulted, next time that person at the office puts your stapler in jello or one-ups you or whatever, the next time your child treats you badly, next time your spouse doesn't do what you think they ought to do. Isn't it interesting that Jesus put this really close to that marriage and divorce passage? You will have an opportunity to decide if you want to respond with a fight or a flight or with strength and humility, find a third way that will leave them going, why would you do that? The next time somebody asks you for something, I want you to help them move or babysit their kids or they need money or whatever, you're going to have, your natural inclination is going to think of every excuse you can to not do that. But you'll have an opportunity to say, hey, you know what, there might be a third way. And leave them with one question, why? And at some point, you don't have to be preachy about it, but at some point people are going to start to figure out that the answer to the why is Jesus. And that this new operating system is really the best way to live. On October 2nd, 2006, Charles Roberts IV entered a one-room schoolhouse in Amish country in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, held dozens of children captive, and finally shot and killed five little girls and critically injured five others before he turned the gun on himself and killed himself. We all remember that day very, very vividly. Just this horrible, crazy, another one of these crazy shooter crimes. The problem is, and we, we, all, we all want to say why, we all want us to try to figure that out, but Roberts left a wife and three children. They lived in the same community. They were all there. Nobody thinks about the family of this person that, that's lost their mind and done this. And if you remember back to that story six years ago, you remember how beautifully the Amish community, which is known for its compassion and its gentleness and its peace-loving nature, responded to this. And I, I don't agree with the way the Amish do the whole thing. I, I don't agree with the being separate. I believe that we're supposed to be in the world. I got a lot of disagreement with them on a lot of things. There's one thing they've got down. It's this third way of dealing with retaliation. Hours after the shooting, an Amish neighbor visited the Roberts' home to comfort them. One Amish man held Robert's father for over an hour as he just sobbed on his shoulder because he didn't have any answers either. They, 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 they went public and said, we must not allow this hatred to overcome us. They set up a charitable fund. The Amish people set up a charitable fund for the shooter's family, for his kids, so that they could go to college, they could have their school paid for. Marie Roberts, the wife of the man who did the work, who did the shooting, wrote a letter to her Amish neighbors. She said, Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. Gifts you've given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and it's changing our world. And for this we thank you. And it did, didn't it? For, for at least a brief moment, as you, if, you, if you remember this story, if you remember this, a whole world was like, wow, Why? They even tore down the one-room schoolhouse where the violence had taken place and erected a new school close by that they now call New Hope School. 
a third way. And it left everybody with one question, why? And one answer, which was Jesus. Jesus, who, by the way, did not propose this method, this third way, this new operating system hypothetically. Jesus, who didn't say, hey, you guys go out and try this and let me know how it works. Right? Think about this. A slap, a shirt, a walk, a gift. Does it sound familiar now? I mean, have you ever put these two scriptures together? Because I actually never have. I mean, think about this. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking him and beating him, and they blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. A slap, what did he do? Turned the other cheek. Jesus, who found himself without a shirt or a cloak at the crucifixion, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. A slap, a shirt. Amazing, isn't it? When you think about it. Jesus, who, after he was crucified, was forced to take a walk with the cross. And when he couldn't carry it any farther, they invoked the law. While they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross because Jesus couldn't take the walk anymore. A gift. Paul said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who did not withhold anything that we asked of him, that he would trade his perfection for our sin and go to the cross. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. It's not a hypothetical idea, is it? He lived this. A slap, a shirt, a walk, a gift. And with that in mind, we're challenged by Jesus to, as often as we get together, gather together and remember the fact that he brought us this new way to live. When we get to this part of our service every week, it's, pardon me for the back to the computer thing, but it's like we get to this place where we can hit Control-Alt-Delete, which you'll never have to do again if you switch to Apple, and, and we can reboot our system as we partake of these emblems of his body and his blood, and we can worship together. And we offer you a chance to do that as we pray. Lord God, I uh, should be better at this third way. <laughs> I've been walking with you for a really, really long time, and I ought to be so much better at it than I am. And I know probably everybody here feels the same thing. Um, there's a learning curve. We know that. It's not going to be easy to switch over to this new operating system, and it's going to mean unlearning some old habits and learning some new ones, and sometimes that takes a while. But Lord, I ought to be better at it than I am. I'm so thankful that I'm here right now and I get to have this great exchange happen where you take my sins and you give me your perfectness so that I can have the kingdom of heaven in my life now and I can live in heaven forever, not based on how well I live the third way, just based on your love and your grace and my acceptance of it. As we get ready to commune now, Lord, I pray for those who are in this room who Maybe they don't even know if they have you or not. They don't, they don't know where they stand with you, Lord. I know where I stand with you. I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I know that you have saved me. And I pray for them that they will open up their hearts to you right now and say, Jesus, I need to know. I need to know that you're here. I give you my life. 
I'm going to live the third way. I, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know it's going to take a while. But I know that your spirit is living within me now. And I can be the person that you made me to be. For all of us as we commune right now, Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for this uh, amazing, these amazing butts that you've given us where you just turned the whole world upside down. And, and we pray that you'll be with us as a church, be with us as Christian people, that we will go out from here and be able to live a life where people look at us and they go, why? So that we can tell them about this new wonderful operating system that we live in called Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.